0: First Corinthians one or three one through seventeen. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple.
1: Thanks, Michelle, for that reading. This is, I think, what I'm supposed to preach, right? The moment in the service when I come up here and I talk for a while. That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) It's okay to laugh. It's okay to, to be open and be free. Um, before we get started, uh, I would love it if uh, you could pray for me. I'm going to be praying for you, and I like to do this this way. If you're comfortable, uh, in Scripture we see that the extending of hands is a way of extending anointing and blessing and prayer. And so I'm just going to ask you now to extend your hands towards me as I extend my hands towards you. Uh, and we're going to take a moment to pause and pray. So if you're comfortable, feel free to do that. Um, but let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for you are good. Uh, Lord, we've already sung your praises and sung about who you are and the ways you love us. Uh, We've heard about the things that you're doing in our community, God. And as we gather around your word, would you speak? Would your voice louder than any voice, your words clearer than any words, your heart, Lord, your passion for us and for this church greater than anything. So Lord, be with those who are here. Make their hearts fertile soil. Let your spirit work and speak as only you can. We entrust ourselves to you, Lord. Take my words, my thoughts. I'm just a vessel, so use me as you will this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, good morning everyone. My name is JD and I'm one of the pastors here at Pine Lake Covenant Church and I am normally the pastor of worship ministries. I normally do music. Um, normally it's an interesting word because I've only been here for about a month. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of a thing. But I'm preaching today. Um, pastor Mark's on vacation and he asked if I would love to preach and I'd love to preach so I'm here doing that. And, I, and I'm super excited, right, that you all are here worshiping with us if you're new, I'm especially excited that you are here with us today. Um, I've only been here for a month, and I can already tell that Pine Lake is a very, very special place. Uh, we are a church that strives to love God, love people, and grow disciples. And we do it with all ages, all growing all the time, and we do it in meaningful ways together. Now, there are a lot of churches in this area. Feel free to check them out if you're you know, new or whatever, but I really do hope that this is a place you can call your spiritual home um, like I do. Well, for the last three weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Hurt by Church. And we've been observing the ways that people uh, and we have been and can be and probably will be hurt by church. Uh, And we've been particularly studying this through the lens of 1 Corinthians and looking at the church in Corinth and how Paul was addressing their issues at the time. The first week, we talked about being hurt by spiritual arrogance. And uh, Pastor Mark taught us about how the cross of Christ confounds and destroys any earthly wisdom. And he shared that in no circumstances should we ever use the cross to hurt people, right? The only person, he said this quote and I loved it, the only person who should get hurt by the cross is Jesus, his pain for our life. The second week we talked about being hurt by spiritual immaturity and how the Corinthians thought that they were gaining some deeper truth and they were losing focus of the main thing, all right, we talked about how the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, and that truth isn't a mystery that's hidden or special, but it's Jesus and Him crucified. All right, keep the main thing the main thing. Then last week, if you were here, we talked about being hurt by judgmentalism and how the cross shows us that everything is grace. Everything we have, we've been given. Right? So what gives us the right to judge? And right? our hearts should only exist gratitude. Now this week... Uh, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic. For those of you who read the e-news or in the loop or whatever we call that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and embarrass yourself if you didn't read it, because you should. Um, it's an awesome thing. You know what we're talking about. But for those of you who didn't, uh, I want you to watch this clip to get a sense of where we are heading this morning. Let's show it. What's that? We lost two billions? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are
0: working hard to make that laugh. One weekend It's on your wedding That's my wedding It is your wedding oh God, I can't you know, not be there I want that week done When I walk into a room They sort of It's, it's like it's um, Just go quiet a little bit Just go more. How, how is your performance this quarter? Are you on the phone to someone? Yeah I'm, I'm, Look I'm manager, okay? Okay I, I do multitasking that's an important parking space. Do you know how long it took me to work my way up the company so that I got my parking space? Um, John has asked you to, to be in here and, like, oh, you get all the information. Yes,
1: I know that I called you to be in the info, but... Did I tell you to use my parking space? I don't think I
0: did. What are you talking about? I was moving a lamp for you. Ah! What did they say? Do you actually completed... And you never- And you you are making me say! Do you
1: understand? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That, is that the angriest you've ever They're acting. All right, so I'm going to get you to switch around and off the top of your head,
0: improvise being a good boss. There's just there's less cliches about a good boss. Do you have any kind of... Like, wh- where, would I, where would I start with that? You know, like it's much easier you, in in movies and stuff. You see, you know, you have a bad boss, you, you yell, you scream. You know, um, being a good person is a little bit less.
1: Yeah. That's it.
0: Yeah. That's right.
1: Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Could we give a hand to them? Yeah, I love that. I love it. Okay, shout out to the Center for Workplace Leadership okay, at the University of Melbourne, Australia, for making that clip. And if you can't tell already, today we're going to be talking about the topic of being hurt by unhealthy leadership. Unhealthy leadership. Now, the argument can be made that the whole world is divided into two types of people, leaders and followers. And whether you agree with that statement or not, it's undeniable that you and I are affected by leadership every single day. Right? Some of us are leaders. We're leaders of our families, our workplaces, our community, even here in our church. Some of us are followers. The followers of our families, our workplaces, our community, even in our church. The reality is that we are probably a bit of both. Right? You're probably a leader sometimes, a follower sometimes. You wear both hats. Now, the clip we saw is funny, sure, but it's scary, too, because all comedy is based in a grain of reality, and we laugh because we understand that there are people who lead that way in very unhealthy ways, right? And what's scarier, right, if we're, if we're going to be vulnerable and be honest, is that that kind of leadership, unhealthy leadership, happens in the church mm. many times, sometimes because of us, sometimes, be, sometimes through us. So the question that we're trying to answer this morning is how do we respond, right? How do we prevent ourselves from being hurt by unhealthy leadership in the church and in our everyday lives? Fortunately, um, the first century church in Corinth was also facing issues around leadership. Christianity was just a movement that was beginning and people were starting to take leadership positions and they were arguing all over. And so Paul has some words for them that we're going to be studying and we're going to find that he has some words for us. And as we dive in, we're going to see that Paul's three words for us today um, are this. Firstly, he's going to have a word for those who follow. Secondly, he's going to have a word for those who lead. And thirdly, he's going to have a word for workers or leaders in the church. So follow, lead, and in the church. Okay, that's where we're going this morning. Okay, so let's talk about Paul's word for those who follow. Paul starts this passage out by calling out the Corinthians. Pastor Mark mentioned last week that the Corinthians believed that they were special, that they had some special knowledge or special gifting or special experience that made them super spiritual people. And they took great pride in this. And Paul is saying, look, you, you think you're special, right? You think that you're somehow anointed or blessed, but the truth is you're still babies, he pushes this further by saying that when he was with them, that he gave them milk instead of solid food, insulting them, you know, that they're infants, that, 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 that even now as he's writing this letter, that they're not ready for it. He says very sarcastically, okay, in verse 3, "'You are still worldly, "'for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, "'are you not worldly? "'Are you not acting like mere humans?' Corinthians, you aren't superhumans. You are mere humans. You aren't spiritual people. Now, why is he saying this? Why is he calling them babies? What is the sign of their spiritual infancy and immaturity? The answer to that is it's the way that they view their leaders. That's what he points out. He says in verse 4 that some are saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. Now, what's going on here? All right, let's backdrop, history, context is key. Paul was the founder of the church in Corinth, okay? He ministered there among them for a few years and established a church around 52 AD. But eventually, he made his way uh, on his second missionary journey and he ended up in Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, a different city, another rising leader in the church, this guy named Apollos, came and ministered to the Corinthians. Who's this Apollos guy, right? Well, according to Acts 18, Apollos is a Jew, all right, he's a native of Alexandria, and that was important for the early church in terms of leadership qualities. He was educated with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He was instructed in the Christian faith, which was known at that time as the way. He spoke with great fervor. He was inspired by the Spirit. He was very liked by people. And scripture tells us that he was very persuasive at convincing people that Jesus was the Messiah. All right? Apollos is the real deal. And for some of the Corinthians, he is Paul 2.0. And the people were fighting and acting with jealousy, saying, I follow Paul. I'm not going to listen to Apollos. Like, who's that guy? But others were saying, well, I follow Apollos. I'm not going to listen to Paul. I mean, who's that guy? Okay, let me bring this home a little bit. Okay, imagine for a second that there is some theological disagreement in our church. Something that just makes us perplexed and we're torn and and cause apart and it it creates a stir in our congregation. All right. Now, imagine if some people started saying, "Well, I follow Pastor Mark. (laughs) You know, because he's the wisest pastor. You know, he's he's got the most experience, and he is a fisher of fish, which I think qualifies that he's probably a better fisher of men and women and people. And and you know, he's so soft, and there's so much wisdom that comes from him. I'm pretty sure he's a Jedi master. (laughs) I'm going to follow Pastor Mark. All right. And maybe others will say, you know what? I follow Pastor Sharon, right? We miss her. Sharon, we miss you. If you hear this, we miss you. We love you. you know, she's so compassionate. She's so kind. She's so loving. And, and, and let's be honest, she's, she's the one pastor who really cares about us. You know, all the other ones is kind of pretend, but Sharon, she'll sit with you and listen with you and she'll love you. But I follow Sharon. Someone else might say, well, you know what? The youth kids, right? Or I follow Pastor Nick, okay? Because he's tall and, and good looking. right? I'm, as a short Asian man, I'm jealous that he's tall. Okay? I, I, I recognize that. But he's so good looking and he's so cool. Like, look, at he's got like paint on his face from paintballing. And, and the other thing about Nick that you don't know is that he can make anything. Right? He can make knives and t-shirts and bookshelves and paddle boards right there. Like the other thing that I, I... Nick came to me in the office this week and he gave me a little little thing, a little tiny thing. Oh, I should have brought it. But it's a little tiny thing. And I was like, Nick, what is this? It has a logo on it. It was like a little canister. You know, it looked like lip balm or something. And he's like, this is hair wax. And I said, you make your own hair wax? How are you? He's like, you know, I just dabble. It's all natural ingredients. You know, I just kind of... <laughs> So maybe some say, I want to follow Pastor Nick because he makes his own hair wax. He's amazing, right? But some might say, well, I follow Pastor Nancy because she's so fancy. (laughs) Fancy Nancy, right? She's running all these marathons, and she's going to all these cool concerts with her selfies. And if I was going to hang out with someone, I'd want to hang out with Nancy because she looks like she's having a good time. I want to follow her. Right? And some probably would say, you know, well, who's this guy? (laughs) I I don't even know him. He's been around for a little bit. Definitely not following that one. (laughs) All right, now, this seems ridiculous. But this is what they were doing. They were associating themselves with leaders in the church and saying, I prefer this one over the other. And they were saying, I'm going to follow this person and not the other person. Okay, now let me clarify something. There is nothing wrong with looking up to leaders. There's nothing wrong with looking up to people who we admire, people who have poured into our lives, who walk with us through intimate moments, whether that's people here in this church or outside. There's nothing wrong with that. So then why is Paul so bothered? Bothered that people are doing this, right? Is it because he's insecure or worried that he's being replaced? Right? We, we know the answer to that is No. Because Pastor Mark preached from Corinthians 4, and Paul said, quite frankly, I I don't judge myself, and I don't care if you judge me. The Lord judges me, so he's not insecure like that. Then why? But Paul is bothered because these people are not just admiring him or Apollos. They are fighting and being jealous over them, which means, in conclusion, that they are elevating Paul and Apollos to a whole other level. They're putting him and Apollos on a pedestal. There's no quicker way to set yourself and your leader up for failure than by putting someone on a pedestal. It does two things. One, it prevents your leader from being able to be human. The second thing is that it makes your leader the source of something he or she can never truly fulfill. Leaders are human beings, right? They're not, they're not these, these statues and these things that we put up. They're, they're broken people who fail, but immediately when you put them on a pedestal, like the Corinthians were doing, you dehumanize them. Ichiro Suzuki, for those of you who are baseball players, started his MLB career, right? He had success with the Mariners. He says this quote, right? He, he knows success. He says, when people get placed upon a pedestal, When they start chasing after that person on the pedestal, they, meaning the people placed there, become mannequin-like. They lose a quality of intimacy. They lose a quality of being human. You know, in my um, years of being a pastor, I've, I've walked with many people. And, and one of the people that I want to share about this morning is my good friend, Natalie. I love her. And, and she's awesome. We're really, really close. And um, I was her pastor, one of the pastors at the church that she attended for some time, and we became friends, you know, after I transitioned from there. But one of the things that Nataline um, did was she did this thing where she elevated people. And it really wasn't her fault, right? Who, that's the question. Well, who does this intentionally? Not many people. Natalie was um, hurt when she was young, mostly from, like, brokenness in her family because of her father and other male figures, and, and she had this pain, right? She was hurt, and she wanted people to um, heal that pain, and so she would elevate them. Anytime someone would say, oh, you're, you're great, or I love your dress, all of a sudden, you know, oh, I love the shoes you wear and your nail color, you know, if a pastor sat down and said, God loves you, One of the more radical examples is that she fell in love with this guy that she met in Maine for three minutes because he said, God loves you and I love you too. (laughs) Marriage plans, wedding bells, right? The thing is that Natalie was looking for healing in people, but the moment she lifted them up, they were out of her grasp. They were perfect. And of course, they failed her eventually, and she would get hurt over and over and over again. She would turn to other sources, other people over again, go to church from church from church, community to community. You can't put someone on a pedestal because salvation and healing only comes from Christ. Right? Part of me journeying with her was, was helping her to understand that. D.S. Uh, Mixwell, a writer, says it this way. If you put me on a pedestal, I will fall off because I can never achieve the perfection of your expectations. So Paul's word for those of us who follow is really simple. Don't place your leaders on a pedestal. If you do, you're setting yourself up and you're setting them up for failure because they will eventually let you down. Sure, you can admire them. You can look up to them. But don't expect them to be a source of salvation or greatness. Don't make them a source of your spiritual pride and identity. All right, so now that we've looked at Paul's word for those who follow, let's look at his word for those who lead. So Paul's not okay with being put on a pedestal. Okay? He, he very, very quickly destroys this pedestal. He doesn't like it, that it's a source of infighting and jealousy. So, so he quickly says these words in verse 5 through 9. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord had assigned to each his task. I planned a seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. In these words, Paul does something very special. He de-elevates himself and Apollos and he elevates God. So the word for those of us who lead is simple. Be humble and let God be God. What we see from Paul is not false humility. He is truly being humble. We can say this with confidence because we know, if we know Paul's story in Scripture, that he is—he was a very, very prideful guy. Right? He talks about this in another letter, and he says, "Look, I'm a Jew. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Pharisee, taught by the best teacher in the land. You know, that'd be like the Harvard of rabbis. Uh, I'm in—in terms of his passion, no one equaled him. He went around and killed Christians. That's how proud and passionate he was. He thought he was serving God. Completely broken." but he was arrogant and filled with pride. But then he had an encounter with Jesus and he was radically transformed. So much so that in his letter to the Ephesians, he says that he is the least deserving of all God's people. Here's a guy who who held the robes of those who were stoning Stephen, who prided himself by being there at the first martyr of the Christian faith. Here's a guy who built his life on that, but now he says, I am the least deserving of all God's people. What happened? Paul saw something that was far greater than him. He saw Jesus and his glorious light and his pride got obliterated. He recognized who he was and who Jesus was. You see, when you and I see Christ and we encounter the glory of God, the radicalness of his love and power and majesty, the fact that he would want to align himself with us, in us. You can't be prideful in light of that power and that love. Pride prevents you from being able to encounter that. I love C.S. Lewis, one of my most favorite authors. Right? In his book, Mirror Christianity, he says these two things about pride. The first thing he says is, you know, for pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. He says later in the book, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. When we are stuck in our pride, when we are stuck right in, in the things that we do and that becomes our identity, we can't see Jesus for who he is. But when we humble ourselves and see the glory of Christ, our Pride gets obliterated. This is why Paul can say, who, who am I, guys, Corinthians? You think I'm special? Who am I? Who, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're nothing. We're servants, right? He says that he is a farmer, Now, in the first century, farming was not an occupation that you proudly aligned yourself with. In certain cultures there, like farming, agrarian culture, and work was the lowest work for slaves. Paul says, that's who I am compared to who God is. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. What would your life be like if you led from a place of humility rather than a place of pride? if you believe that God was truly who he was, if you saw him as Lord, creator, ruler, master, and you believe that you were given your life, your gifts, your job, your time, your kids, your community, all of it, to be a steward of it, what would change if you believed that the one who really mattered was God and not you or me? How would you lead your families, lead your workplaces, lead your communities, lead your church? There are many noticeable traits about Paul, but one that is undeniable is his confidence and boldness. This guy preaches and gets beat up, left for dead, and he walks back into the city to do it over and over and over again. How can he bet his life on his words? How does he do that? It's because he knows that it's not all dependent on him. He doesn't have to be the end all and and fix it all for every solution. He doesn't have to be the one that the world has to revolve around. He understands that there's someone in the center who's much greater. And he's just a part of the process. Listen, God wants to work in and through your lives. We're leaders. We're hands and feet, right? That God uses in this world. He wants to use you. He wants to use this church. I absolutely believe that. But if we think that we're great, that Pine Lake Covenant Church or the individual people here, that somehow we're a part of something important, we're not going to get anything accomplished. Well, we might, but it's really only going to be limited to ourselves. But what if we said, God, you're the center of it. You who knows all things, has all things, you who understand beginning to end outside of time, you who, in spite of our failures, still accomplishes your plans for our families, for our workplaces, for our communities. Paul was able to humble himself. He was able to see Jesus for who he was. And so his word for those who lead is to be humble and let God be God. All right, so let's review. Paul's word for those who follow, don't put your leaders on a pedestal. And Paul's word for those who lead, be humble and let God be God. Paul's last word for us today is for those who work and lead in the church. And his word for us is is simple yet powerful. It's this. It's that God is a judge who protects his church. God is a judge who protects his church. The remainder of the passage this morning is a grim warning. It is something that must not be skipped over or unheard. Okay, so I'm going to read it. Just listen. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with Fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Whoa! God destroying people, a Coptic language, the day, mysterious capital D. Uh. What is Paul talking about? You know, it would be completely inappropriate and utterly irresponsible to talk about being hurt by unhealthy leadership, um, especially being hurt by church, and not name the ways that people in the church have hurt people. That leaders in the church have hurt people um, sometimes in and through the name of church or God. Sadly, we have a history of unhealthy leadership hurting people in the name of God. From the Crusades, to churches who supported and argued for slavery, to a church today in modern time who is claiming that God is a God of hate and not a God of grace and love. Look, Paul says that he was a master builder and he built on the foundation and others are building on top of that. What happened in these moments in our history? How did we get so lost that we end up hurting people who we are trying to love? The foundation. We try to build not on Jesus but on something else is the difference. If you make political power or the desire to control or if you make anything other than Christ the foundation of the church, you end up hurting people. You end up leading from a place of brokenness. And you end up doing things that are tragic. Paul says, whatever is built will be tested and judged, that God will do it. And how is God going to judge this, right? Besides the metaphorical language, which might be literal, scholars think hmm, probably more metaphorical, but how is he going to do this? Well, what's the foundation that he is, that we're building on? The foundation is Jesus. What What do we see in Jesus, right? Humans, we've already talked about this. We put people on pedestals. We lead out of pride and not humility. We make other things the most important thing, the main thing, and we end up getting lost about what is church and what isn't and building walls and keeping people out and saying things about God that isn't even true. That's what we do. But the foundation, Jesus, what did he do? Jesus, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the creator of the universe, he was in heaven. I imagine chilling and relaxing, right? Maybe just enjoying his life. His father says there's a broken world down there son the one who had all power and all control decided to give it all away so that others could live so that others could have life and thrive and succeed when we are talking about unhealthy leadership right Jesus is the complete opposite of that He's the example, the purest example of true leadership. And if we think about Jesus and what he did, leaving his heavenly throne, going on the cross, you know, taking our sins and dying in our place so we could have life, we see that true leadership is really about taking your life, your influence and your power and giving it away to others so that they can live. It isn't about control or power or doing it our way. It isn't about building on some false foundation, but it's about understanding that our message and the core of who we are is one of grace, love, is one of mercy and kindness. That is a leadership that Christ calls us to. That is a leadership that is founded, the church that we are building on top of. Pine Lake Covenant Church, I've known you for a month. I've been asking myself a lot of questions, you know? Why, why do we do it this way? Or what is this? Or why, you know, just trying to understand. There's so much history to who we are and what we do. And as I was preparing this sermon, I started asking my question, uh, or the, I started asking myself the question, sorry, what is the foundation of our church? What is it that we want this community, the people of Samamish, the surrounding areas, like let's say Issaquah Redmond, because they're just right over there, and over there, or whatever, I'm horrible with directions. What do we want them to know us for? What is the kind of leadership that we're going to show among ourselves? Is it the one that that takes power and control and manipulates and builds walls and hurts people? Or is it one that says, we want to take all that we've been given, our time, our gifts, our resources, even our families, share them with each other, share them with, with all of you, give away all of that so that you could live that we could pursue God together and grow in him together. Paul's last word for us is that God is a judge. Our work, what we do to build this church will be tested. And look, we do a lot of work. That is one thing I know for sure, being here for one month. Right? In the month that I've been in here, right, we, we've done so many amazing things. Right? The church has pledged 1.3 million dollars over the next three years for ministry. Right? For the last five years and before, you know, we've been working out this 2020 vision. And what's crazy to me is that being the new guy, I actually see us living into it. Right? Well, diversity is one of them. I'm here, <laughs> I'm on stage. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm like the first non-white staff member in Pine Lakes history or something, right? Like, this is a historic moment. Not me. I'm not important. Jesus is important. But do you know see what I'm saying? Like, we are actually living into what we say we are, who we say we are. We're living into the mission and vision that God has given to us. Let's do it out of a spirit, out of leadership that is bounded in Christ, in his example, which is one of love, grace, mercy, and hope, one that says we're willing to give it all away so this city and the people in our neighborhoods and our families can live. So in conclusion, Paul's words, his three words for us are this. One, don't place your leaders on a pedestal. Two, be humble and let God be God. And three, God is a judge who protects his church. So let's be wise builders. Where are you this morning, right? Maybe you're in a place where you've been placing people in your life, whether they're your family members or people you know are leaders, on a pedestal because you want something from them, like my friend Natalie. You know, the, the good news is that Jesus, is, he can fulfill that. You don't have to lift people up. You can let them be human. They'll actually be of more service to you that way. You'll be able to walk with them and love them and they'll be able to do the same for you. Right, the second thing, if, if you're a leader, don't lead out of a place of pride, you know, maybe, maybe you're struggling because, um, I don't know, I, I find that the people who are more puffed up are actually more insecure. They don't know who they are. They're uncomfortable with who they're not. But maybe God is wanting you to embrace a path of humility, to be humble and let God be God, to understand that, that everything we do, we're just joining with him as stewards of what he's given. Or maybe you've been hurt by church. And I know there's been times in my life where I've been hurt by church. Maybe you need some love and answers. Well, the good news for you today is that Jesus Christ is here to heal your wounds and that what you experience is not who he is at all. Wherever you may be, or wherever you are, may the love of Christ and his lavish grace transform your life this morning. May he be the foundation on which you build your life. May his example be the one you remember as you live, love, and lead boldly in his name. Pray with me this morning. Father God, I thank you for this time that we've had um, to reflect on Paul's words to the Corinthians. God, what are we? Who are we? We are nothing but servants neither the one who plants or waters. None of that matters. It's only God who makes it grow. So God, help us to have a proper understanding of who we are. It's not thinking less of ourselves because Jesus, you died for us. We were valuable enough that you gave your life. So Lord, give us proper placement. Help us to see the cross the way that it inspires us. To walk in humility and to lead in a way that is reflective of you
0: and your kingdom. In the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.